We're continuing the sermon series on words of wisdom from the Apostle Paul, power, praise, Paul. And I, I really, I've been looking forward all week to be able to, I just love coming to church. Don't you just love coming to church? I, and for those who are worshiping virtually, I'm, glad, I'm sure that you guys are drinking coffee in, in your pajamas and God bless you. That's great too. And, and so that's, I'm just glad that we're all at church today. And I just love, but I love coming to church. I've been looking, I'm very excited to be able to preach this message today. Um, so um, as we think about, we're on the, actually, it's back half of the, the sermon series, because I, I picked, uh, we're walking through, the, uh, we walked through Philippians, and so the theme for Philippians, as I recall, as I reminded you, it has to do with finding joy even in the midst of adversity, and so there, as we remember that there's like 14 different times in the book of Philippians that Paul reminds people about finding joy. And then, um, and then this week, we start into this, the text about Thessalonians, and so um, let me just teach for a second. So the, the, the focus really here is really about faith. And that's the reason why you heard so much about faith today in the music and the preparation of leading up this today to, to the message. And so, and so once again, it's about finding faith in the midst of adversity. And so what Paul is doing is he is actually his, um, uh, he's writing, it's around around 51 AD. And so here, let me just throw this one at you. I want you to understand this because this is really important. The first and second Thessalonians are the, it's the earliest pieces of the New Testament that we have. I'll let that sink in for a second. So in other words, when you look at the whole New Testament, um, what we get from the Apostle Paul, Thessalonians is the first uh, first things written that's a part of the New Testament. So it's, it, many people think it's the Gospels that were actually the first because it comes to er, the first part of the Bible, or the first part of the New Testament. No, actually the first Gospel is written around 70 AD, the Gospel of Mark. We think that Matthew and Luke were actually borrowing from Mark. And so Mark was written around 70 AD, but actually the first piece of scripture that we have that's written, that's ended up in the New Testament comes in from the Thessalonians. And Paul writes that around 50 or 51 AD. Uh, and so it's, um, he's actually writing from Corinth and he's writing back. And so I'll give that just a little bit more about how he ends up in Corinth um, because it's part of the story. And he's writing back to the Thessalonians. And so he's writing back to the Thessalonians. And the theme is to hold fast, to keep, uh, keep your faith, even in the midst of persecution, even though that people are basically throwing the bus, and even people are being critical of you, even though people are telling you, don't believe, don't believe in Jesus, don't believe a word I'm telling you. He's writing back and saying, hey, listen, hold on to your faith. Um, and so he's in trying to strengthen their faith. Okay, and so th that's the first part. And the other part that we're gonna get into the, in the next uh, couple of weeks is, the second theme is that he's writing to an audience of people who were thinking, hey, listen, don't give up on the idea that Jesus is coming back because they thought that Jesus coming back was coming back like tomorrow, right? And so, you know, we're still waiting for Jesus to come back. I mean, we, it's been 2,000 years. Even Jesus said he didn't know when, when uh, we referring to when the second coming was going to come. And so we're still waiting. And so, but Paul is writing back to this audience because they were starting to lose, lose their faith. They thought that Jesus was going to come back and return and take them back, take them all to heaven. And it didn't turn out that way. And so Paul is writing back to the Thessalonians trying to encourage them to hold on to their faith, but also encourage them, hey, listen, um, Jesus is coming, so hold on. We don't know when he's coming, but continue to remain faithful. 
So let me just begin by reading um, one little excerpt from the book of Thessalonians, and then we'll have a chance to maybe just teach a little bit and learn a little bit. And, um, and so uh, I think this is, this is a great place to begin. So the first letter to the Thessalonians, and so this is the first chapter. Let me just read a couple of verses um, from the Apostle Paul. He says, you know, we always give thanks to God for all of you and mention you in our prayers constantly, remembering before our God and Father your work of well, faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, beloved by God, that he has chosen you because your message of the gospel came to you, not in word only, but also in the power of the, and the Holy Spirit with full conviction. Just as you know what kind of persons we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became I love this word, imitators of us and of the Lord. For in spite of persecution, you receive the word with joy inspired by the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia. Uh, This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. So, you know, right out of the bat, I made a note, and I, once again, I'm trying to highlight something for you. So, Paul says, hey, we always give thanks, uh, thank God for all you continue to mention. So, right out of the gate, I thought this was, in, he, he says, listen, we thank God for your work produced by faith. We thank God for your labor prompted by love. We thank God for your endurance inspired by hope. Faith, hope, love. Where do we hear that? 1 Corinthians 13. Faith, hope, love, but the greatest of these is love. Do you know that when Mark Smith just sang a few minutes ago, guess what he sang about? Faith, hope, love. So Paul, right out of the gate, he talks about, listen, we're, we're grateful for you. We're thankful for you. Your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope. I love that. Faith, hope, love. It's all right there. It's so Pauline, isn't it? And so um, I was thinking once again, and so and let me just share with you, um, just a few minutes ago, um, Brad uh, uh, talked a little bit about the three announcements, and he talked about saying thank you. And so I just wanted you to know, um, I want to thank you all, because listen, I got a bunch of thank you notes this week. And uh, many people were so grateful, I mean, just gracious. Matter of fact, here's a beautiful thing. I even got a thank you note from one of my biggest critics thanking me for being this pastor, which is awesome. This is amazing. I got a thank you from some people who had just started coming to our church and thanking me for being their pastor. So it was just a beautiful note. So I I found out their email address. I wrote them a little thank you note back uh, by uh, by email. And then they thanked me for my thank you, which is like, wow, this is amazing. I mean, this is like a thank you revolution. And so it really can be a thank you revolution, right? I mean, if, we, if you think about it, if everybody just think one person, you went out of the way for the last, for 16 weeks to the end of the, of the year, there's about 2,200 people worshiping. That's about 35,000 thank yous that people extended. Wow, that's amazing. So let me just push the envelope a little bit because it, literally, because I got a bunch of these and I, I'm so grateful for these handwritten notes. It's wonderful. I mean, I got texts, I got emails and I think that's great. I'm really grateful. And I encourage you to do something special. So here's a true story. Mom, my wife is very creative. She's a school teacher over here in the, uh, the village's uh, elementary school system. And I mentioned to you all Oh, a few months ago that her boss, Mrs. Yurk, who's the principal at the elementary school, she's got a big responsibility. Her husband got COVID and he died. And um, he's about my age. 
And uh, of course, she was just devastated. And so our church um, actually made a prayer quilt for her. I mentioned that a few months ago when Don and I actually delivered that, hand delivered it to her, and she was just so grateful. And so um, about, I don't know, maybe a couple of months ago, my, my granddaughter Marley was here and um, Donna had already made arrangements to go and take Mrs. Yerk to lunch just to encourage her and to let her know that she was grateful for her and just thanking her. And, and so she took Marley with her. And so Marley and Mrs. Yerk hit it off and she, they're, they're buddies now. So um, this last week, um, this Mrs. York's birthday, and so my wife, being my wife, um, knew it was her birthday, and she was thinking of, of a creative way to be able to say thank you, but also to be able to celebrate her birthday. So let me show you a little video. This is how she extended thank you and happy birthday. Now, I didn't show you that video because I think that my granddaughter's going to be the next American Idol. I just want you to know that. <laughs> but the reason why I shared that with you is just another way of extending a thank you or I love you or encouraging someone in your life. And I guarantee you, most of you all have got one of these. It's called a cell phone, right? And most of you all are pretty, pretty good with it and you can take a selfie, but here's another creative way of saying thank you. Maybe you can actually take a video of yourself and then send it to your, I don't know, a son or a daughter or your, one of your grandchildren or a friend. Anywhere in the world, you can do that now, which is just amazing. So it's just another creative way of saying thank you to someone. Now, listen, let me share something with you. Um, the Apostle Paul, if, if he lived today, not 2,000 years ago, I can guarantee you Paul would have pulled out a cell phone and he would have figured out a way to be able to expand the good news of Jesus Christ. No doubt about it. I mean, he would have used social media. He would have been on the internet. He would have been preaching. I mean, Paul would have done everything he could have. He would have used every resource he was possibly capable of using in order to be able to spread the good news of Jesus Christ because he was completely sold out on Jesus. And so um, here's an interesting thing. Let me show you the internet um, 2,000 years ago. And this is what it looked like. And so here's a map. And you see the little red line? I just want you to know that was uh, social media right there. Uh, that was the internet. It's actually called the Via um, Agnetia. And uh, the Via Agnetia was, um, well, it was the trade route. And um, it, was the, it was basically like the lifeline between the east and the west. And so guess what would happen? All, not only would be trade, but this is, the, this is the, a wave of communication between the east all the way that ended up in Rome. And so uh, can you show that next picture? And here's another kind of defining way to actually look at it. And now I want you to notice something that's really just kind of stuck out to me this week. Guess what's on there on that road? Philippi and Thessalonium. Paul was a genius because he knew that if he could strategically place two churches on that information highway, 
and to be able to begin to plant seeds of hope and the love of Jesus Christ and the good news of Jesus Christ, that he was on a really good uh, path towards spreading the good news of Christ along that route. And his vision of being able to expand that and to be able to share the good news, it was his dream was to go all the way from the east to the west. Isn't that amazing? Paul, the information highway. And so, you know, I think about this this week about the idea that Paul was so intent about making sure, because he's writing around 50, 51 AD to the group of Thessalonians. And so they are just, they're, they're getting being down. They're being persecuted. And if, so right out of the gate, he thanks them, but he also says, listen, hold on. And so the time my sermon today is, hey, listen, we can either, well, well the idea of throwing the towel or we can throw our hat in the ring. I thought that was actually pretty good, right? You can either throw in the towel or you can throw your hat into the ring of faith. Now, I've got a picture of this little boxer. So, you know, you know the, the idea of throwing the towel actually goes back. Well, it actually, the first time it was actually mentioned in the boxing world is about 1913. Um, it was mentioned in the Fort Wayne Gazette. And when somebody was a sports writer and they talked about someone who had actually conceded and had to give up. And so they threw their towel in the ring. And so that was the first time it was ever documented that, that expression about what well, means to concede, right? That somebody in their corner realized that their, their person was getting pummeled and they actually said, hey, listen, we give. So they threw the towel in the ring. That means that their ring actually thought they should quit. Before that, I didn't know, I don't know if you know this bit of trivia, but before it was called throwing the towel, it was actually called throwing in the sponge. It just doesn't have the same impact, doesn't it? <laughs> throwing in the sponge, because back then, you know, in the 1800s, actually it was in the 1860s that they actually would have a sponge and I guess it would wipe off the boxer's face and the blood and so forth. And so they would literally, they would throw in the sponge and that meant that you conceded. But I like the idea of throwing in the towel sounds a little bit better to me. And so when, when I think about what Paul is saying to the Thessalonians right out of the gate, he's saying, listen, hang in there. Don't throw in the towel. So here's my first thought for us to think about. I got a couple of points and I, I want you to hold true to these. And, and so here's what I found in my life. And so here's a lo- little bit of a life application part of my message today. You don't ever give up on the ones that you love the most. Now let that sink in for a second. You don't ever give up on the ones that you love the most. And so um, that's true not only as we think about our our lives, but I think it's also really true of what Paul's getting at theologically. So let me explain a couple of thoughts. So let me give you a story. So once upon a time, um, this is back in about 1982, and my father was the pastor in Coral Springs, and so I was, at that point, I think I was in Lakeland, and so we decided to rendezvous um, in Yeehaw Junction. Now, there's not a whole lot in Yeehaw Junction, but there's a Stuckey's. That's about it, okay? And so... Um, this is back before cell phones. This is back before internet. And so we were completely dependent upon a telephone call. And so he said, Harold Ray, I'll meet you. I don't know. It was like one o'clock at Yeehaw. And I was gonna, he was going to bring my sister to me. And I was going to pick my sister up and take her back to Lakeland. And so, um, so I got there, I don't know, maybe 15 minutes beforehand. And I was right on time. And my father was never late. And um, so I, I kind of waited around, hung out. There's only so much you can do at Stuck Ace. You know, it's when you know at Yeehaw Junction. And so, um, you know, then it was one o'clock, he didn't show up. It was about 1.30 and he still didn't show up. Two o'clock, still didn't show up. About 2.15, 2.30, 
And, and so, I, you know, as I sat there and waited, because I couldn't communicate. Now, nowadays, we just take it for granted. It could be a, a five-second text, right? Hey, Harold, I'm running behind. I'll be there at 2.30, right? And then, no big deal. But because I had all this anxiety and my father was never late, I, and my father always showed up. And, and so I, I had all of a sudden, I didn't know if I was, should be really angry with him or just kind of was emotionally drained. So I remember, I literally was just, I was beside myself. And so I had no way to communicate. I thought he had been in a wreck. I didn't know it had to happen. And so about 2.15, 2.30, he finally drives up. And I remember having this flood of emotions about either didn't know how to be angry. And I literally... I literally just fell into his arms and I was just grateful to see him and my sister and I was grateful that they were alive and I just cried like a baby in the Stuckey's parking lot. I'll never forget that. I was like 18 years old. And evidently my father was delayed. He had um, met church and he couldn't get away and something happened and that's the reason why they were, it took longer for him to get to, to Stuckey's than he thought. And so, and you know, I, I hold true to that is that I was about to give up. I was about to give up on my dad. So here, here's the interesting thing. So the children of uh, the people in Thessalonians, this brand new church that Paul's writing to him, listen, he's saying, listen, don't give up on your heavenly father. Hey, don't give up on that Jesus is going to continue, even though he's not, he hasn't come back in the second coming. But listen, don't give up that Jesus Christ will continue to show up in your life through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he literally says that. Hey, listen, hold true. The Holy Spirit will continue to be a part of your life, so don't give up on that. Now, I don't know about you all, but there have many, been many times I think about and the people that I love the most. So Paul's saying, listen, don't give up Jesus Christ. If you really, truly love him, don't give up. And I, I, I tell you, in, in the midst of my life, I think about my, my wife is here last night. Uh, my wife is actually preaching right now at her church, and so I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that she's spreading the bread and the good news, and she's a wonderful pastor and a great teacher. Um, but I tell you what, over the last 32 years, I guarantee you there were times in which, and I'm grateful that she didn't throw the towel in on me. And I mean that. Uh, I, I, you know, the pressure of raising five children well, actually six children, including me. And so, you know, anyway, five children and then me and the pressure of being a pastor's wife and the difficulty of all that, I don't know how she did it, but she did. It'd been very easy for her just to throw in the towel, but she didn't. I think about my relationship with my son, Cameron. You know, Cameron's doing extremely well and so grateful for it that God has really done a remarkable job of healing him and making him whole. And we have good days and some days aren't as good, but you know what? There was a time in the midst of that darkness of his depression and anxiety when he was going through high school, there were times in which Don and I were really literally at the, our own brink and we I just wanted like, what do we do when we wanted to give up? But because of the faith that we have in Jesus Christ and the love that we have for our church, and I literally remember many people as I stood out there and literally shook people's hands and cheered and just being transparent about my own personal life, about the struggle. Of, and they would say to me, Harold, don't give up. It's going to get better. We've been there. We've had the son or we've had the daughter or we've got the granddaughter or we've got the grandson and we've gone through exactly what you've gone through. And it's not easy. But you don't give up. And so I, I think there's a real truth here that we begin this, 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 this part of this, ser this sermon series about Thessalonians because what Paul is saying, hey, listen, hold true to your faith and don't give up on Jesus Christ. Don't give up on your heavenly father. 
I, so I was thinking then once again this week about uh, kind of reminiscing and about what is really not giving up look like. And, and so I was reflecting, because I mentioned, you know, over the last couple of months, I reflected upon um, the Olympics. And a matter of fact, you know, once again, in Thessalonica, they had, I, I suppose they had like, uh, in Philippi, they also had like the Olympic Games and they had these, um, uh, they had coliseums and so forth. And, and um I was reminiscing and thinking about, once again, how Paul continues to kind of draw upon some of these historical themes about athleticism and so forth. And so I don't know if you all remember this, but back in 1992, there was a guy by the young, who was a young sprinter from Britain. Um, his name was Dennis Redmond. And um, listen, he was a world champion. Matter of fact, in the 4x4 100, uh, 4x400. And um, he was predicted to win the Olympics in 1992. He'd already won the uh, world championship in 91. They thought he was going to win in 92. And so um, he was running a preliminary to get into the finals. And so this is what happened to him. He pulled out, pulled completely, destroyed his hamstring. And, and so, you know, everything he'd worked for his whole life, coming down to that race, he was supposed to win. And so he literally is laying there on the track and field. And, um, well, let me show you what not giving up looks like. So his father came out of the stands and helped him get to the finish line. That's what not giving up looks like. That's what not throwing in the towel looks like. And so let me tell you something. Most people have no clue who won the 4x4 100 relay in 1992. But I guarantee you, if you have ever followed the Olympics, people remember Dennis Redmond in 1992 when his father came out of the stands and the security guards were trying to push him back. And he says, you're not going to mess with me. That's my son. I'm going to go to him. And we're going to finish this race. That's what not throwing the towel looks like. Then this back in uh, 2016, when the Olympics, I thought this is a remarkable story. The guy named Mohammed Farhar, Farhar um, was once again supposed to win the 10,000 meters. He was the best in the world. Everybody hands down. No, no, nobody's going to beat him. And so this is what, here's a picture of um, what happened to him. He's laying there. He got knocked down. And there's a little picture of the finals of the 10,000 meters. And so he's laid out um, on the, on the Olympics, in the Olympic stadium. He's on the field. And then once again, let me show you what happened. He literally got up and he finished the race. And so let me show you. Here's the next picture. That's what not giving up looks like. He won a gold medal. That's amazing to be that good, to literally get knocked down and you're laid out and he gets himself together and he still won a gold medal because he didn't throw in the towel. So what Paul is saying to us today and what he's saying to the, his church is, hey, listen, don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Continue to throw your hat into the ring. So I was thinking about this once again. I love this once again. I, I was kind of writing down quotes this last week and jotting down, Christ never said it was going to be easy, but his word does say that we are to be enduring. Persevering leads to the prize. Now, let me tell you something about life and about not giving up. In my own personal life, um, you know, there was a time, and I've shared this with you before, there was a time in my ministry that I literally was about to give up. 
I was really literally about to throw in the town. Matter of fact, there was a person at my other church who was out to get me, and he was a part of the staff pairs team and a key leader, and uh, he did everything he could to get me off. He was uh, literally wanted me to be able to leave, and and he was leading this kind of uh, this force against me, and and so I, I was literally it got so bad I I literally wanted to throw in the towel and. And Donna's trying to figure out things for me to do, you know, besides just doing the ministry. She says, Harold, you don't have to be this miserable. And it was awful. I literally, as I shared with you before, I remember getting out of my car on one Sunday morning and not having a clue how I was going to preach that day. I did. Somehow I put it together, but I did. You know what? Let me just share personal privilege. You know what? When I got out of my car today and walked across this parking lot, I was looking forward to be with you today which is a big difference because I love you and I love my church. And, and so, um, so literally, this true story, I was in Paint Lake, Kentucky on my vacation. And so the staff parish committee, because he was a part of the committee, they thought it was going to be really funny to send me UPS, FedEx, a pink slip. And I opened it up and there was my pink slip. And they all thought it was funny. I didn't think it was real funny to get a pink slip all the way to Paint Lick, Kentucky. Mm. See? And so it's so easy, but I am so grateful that I didn't throw in the towel because I never dreamt. And here's the, here's the second little part of my message today. Sometimes when we think about our dreams that, you know, we not only do we get not give up on the people that we love the most, and Paul's encouraging not to give up Jesus Christ, but he's also said sometimes in our lives that we have to change our dream. So we have this one vision of what our dream is supposed to be like, but then sometimes our dream sometimes gets altered and it gets shifted to another direction, and, but it still be a part of our bigger dream. So for example, my dream was to actually have a church that had a thousand people. Well, guess what? God doubled my dream. You know why? Because I didn't give up. And also I had five mouths to feed also, right? <laughs> and so what Paul is saying, and what I love and the genius of Paul, guys, is that over and over again, and Paul reminds me, hey, listen, I was shipwrecked. I had been out in the sea. I had been flogged, uh, 40 lashes minus one. Uh, I, have, I have been under all this persecution. I, I got people who hate my guts. And he says, you know, basically, and over and over again, he says, I'm not gonna quit. And he didn't. And the reason, you know, here's, a, here's and let's just really kind of cut to the chase. I mean, we're here because we love Jesus Christ. But, you know, the, the idea of there's two billion people in the world who are worshiping Jesus Christ today, primarily because Paul had the vision to plant churches along that route in order to expand the good news of Jesus Christ all the way to the east and the west. Now, that's the truth. And so what was amazing to me is that Paul over and over again, this is what would happen to Paul. And, and we find the book of Acts. He, it talks about him finding himself to, Thess to Thessalonia. And he goes there and he's about there. Maybe um, chances are somewhere between either three weeks or three months. And so he begins to establish this relationship with the people. And all of a sudden the leaders begin to become jealous. And so guess what happens? They run him out of town. Can you imagine that? 
that's so typical of Paul. So he ends up in Berea, which is right down the, kind of down the road. And so he, and he has uh, 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 Timothy with him. And so then, um, and then the, the, the Jewish officials who are jealous of him literally follow him to Berea and they throw Paul in the, under the bus in Berea that he has to literally leave there and he ends up actually in Corinth. And so Paul had the vision, he says, that, and he sends back as he's writing from Corinth, this letter, he literally sending Timothy back in order to make sure that the people don't give up. They hold true to the good news. So what I, I think when the geniuses of Paul is that not only did he not just give up in his, his venture of his dream of spreading the good news of Jesus Christ, but a lot of times he had to alter his dream and he had to shift because he would think, okay, well, I'm going to go and stay in Thessalonians for a year or two and I'm going to establish this church. And then after I get this all going, I'm going to go to another church. And, and I'm sure that Paul had it all planned out to some form of fashion, but a lot of times the dreams that he had didn't work out the way that he planned. Now there's a thought. You ever had a plan that didn't work out the way you planned it, Right. And so one of the beautiful things about Paul is he, he never, ever threw in the towel. He constantly continued to move forward. I, I, I think there's, um, let me share this um, last couple of thoughts. I think that when we look at our dreams, and, and I think there are benchmarks that we have in life. Matter of fact, Pastor Jeff at our, our Methodist men's group, the uh, men's ministry, uh, we had this last Tuesday. He talked about benchmarks, and I, I thought it was really important that, once again, the benchmarks in our lives, and so Paul was saying, hey, listen, don't give up that Jesus Christ hasn't showed up. Reality is, Jesus Christ has showed up and he's showed up in the gift of the Holy Spirit. And in the midst of these benchmarks, we could see where Jesus Christ has showed up in your life. Can I move in on that? Now, it may be just, an, and, and he, I'm guarantee you, if you look for it, he'll show up every single day. It, it, it may be a, like a simple nudge. That maybe you need to reach out to someone and send them a thank you. Or it, it could be something as, as simple as, you know, sending a thank you or a nudge. Or it could be something as uh, I call a conviction. And I don't know how many times I have done something or said something or in my life. And I just felt convicted by the Holy Spirit and said, Harold, you shouldn't have said that. You need to go apologize to that person. Has that ever happened to you? So it may be a gentle nudge. It may be some sense of conviction. It, it may be some idea of just sending the thank you note. It may be a miracle that's happened in your love and you recognize it. You realize the Holy Spirit has showed up in the miracle, right? And so let me share this one little, this one little uh, uh, 15 second video. My friend Bruce came to me about, I don't know, several months ago and he saw uh, me baptizing some people and he said, Pastor Harold, I, I didn't know, would you baptize me? And I said, Bruce, I, I would love to baptize you. And, and so we made the arrangements to be able to go. And once again, this is a benchmark in Bruce's life. And so can you show this video? And let me explain to you. So Bruce and I were at his pool um, at the, one of the um, uh, rec centers, or actually one of his, his assisted living facility. I just want you to know, I did a really good job, job of baptizing with one flip-flop. And so you see one floating and one on his foot. And so we, um, we did this. And so what's beautiful is not only did the Holy Spirit show up in that moment, but all his friends, I mean, there were like 35, 40, 50 people at the side of the pool, you didn't see that in the video, who also showed up. Wow. So I think that Paul continues to say, hey, listen, even though Jesus Christ hasn't showed up in the second coming yet, he says, listen, don't, realize, don't you realize that Jesus Christ continues to show up in your life? It may be a nudge, it may be through conviction, it may be a benchmark, it may be a miracle in your life. 
His last little thought is that Paul talks about, and I mentioned just a minute ago. Are y'all still with me? I know it's, I know the time's running. I know, I know. I realize that. And you're saying, land the plane, land the plane, land the plane. So here, here, all right, hold on. So, so here's, here's the thought. I love this part of what Paul says um, about being an imitator. And, and so, you know what? I, there are people in my life that I just... I have just wanted to imitate. I, I think about my, bless his heart, my, my father-in-law, Carl Sippa. I met him back in 1981. I remember meeting him for the first time. I was taking his daughter out, who happens to be my wife. And, and, um, and I was shaking up boots to meet the, my girlfriend's, my, hopefully my girlfriend's dad. And it, here's the interesting thing. I've known Carl for 40 years. He's never, I've never, ever, ever heard him say one negative thing about another human being, ever, ever. Amazing. I think about my friend Charlie Skinner, who was at my church in Dunellen, and Charlie was just just a, a saint. He's just just a, such a good man. He actually played Santa Claus for us one night at uh, at the Hendron Mansion, and so Olivia and Logan were just adorable. They were so excited. They were squealing that Santa had come, and I, you can't get much by Olivia because she's only three at the time. She says, "Mama, that is Santa Claus, but he sure sounds a lot like Charlie." Is what she said. <laughs> I think about, and I think about my friend Barbara Kingry. God rest her soul. She was dying of leukemia. She was in charge of our children's ministry. And I still have this from 1995 when she was being wheeled in a, um, down the hallway in the hospital as she was going for a chemo treatment. And she handed this, and this was all of 1995's themes for every single month for the children's ministry. And she was dying. I love July's. Hot, hot, hot. Read your Bible a lot. (laughs) Imitators. Paul says, listen, thank you so much for continuing to imitate us, me, our disciples, about not giving up. So Paul was under constant criticism. We all understand what it feels like to be criticized. We We all get that. But the beautiful thing is that Paul never, ever gave up. He never threw the towel. And the good news for all of us today, he says, follow my example. So if you've ever been distraught, you've been criticized, you ever just felt like, you know what, Lord, I've just been beaten down. The good news of Jesus Christ, we find through the book of Thessalonians as we continue the sermon series, is that Jesus, or Paul says to us, through our Lord and Jesus Christ, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. And that's the good news for the day. Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus, we're grateful for your love and for your transcending power. And I, I'm grateful for uh, our congregation. I'm grateful for all these new members today. I'm, I'm just so honored to be a part of this church. And I'm, I'm honored to be able to, once again, uh, be a, uh, in some small way, to, be, to give a testimony of strength and love that we all have uh, for you. So help us, Lord, to continue to run this race with perseverance. And Lord, let us continue to never give up, to never throw in the towel in our faith as we continue to lean into you. In Jesus Christ, we pray and all God's children said, Amen.